today we are interviewing a student, a professor, and a researcher from around the world to understand how Hexagon Software bridges the gap between industry and education. Welcome to HXGN Radio. My name is Brian, and joining me is Chris Haney, student at the University of South Florida, Steve Fleming, professor of the practice of spatial sciences with the University of Southern California, and Joyce Mapahanya, professor at the University of Botswana. Thank you all for joining me today. Appreciate it. That's good. Thank you. Thanks. I'm excited. We've got some, we're going to have some fun today. We're going to get some great information. So we're going to start off with a little bit of information from each of you. And Chris, tell us about yourself, your university affiliation, your role, some background, all that good stuff. Well, uh, my geospatial background started off when I joined the Army. 12 years of remote sensing experience with four combat deployments. And then I decided to go into academia, and now I'm working on my PhD in geography and environmental science. My thesis research actually led me here, working on uh, palm decline in Florida. Uh, There's a new disease that's wiping out the state tree, and uh, I built a... uh, spatial algorithm using the spatial modeler that classifies the palm trees at a very high degree of accuracy and bridges a gap with TensorFlow. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that application, but it's an artificial intelligence a- application that Google came out with. So I've uh, built an algorithm with that artificial intelligence. Nice. So we can track down the palm trees mm-hmm. and uh, figure out where the sick ones are at, give some spatial metrics to the forestry managers. And in for the desire, of course, of reducing that, trying to save the ones that are, you know, healthy. Well, if there's a, a mitigation strategy, you know, like if there is going to be a cure that's going to be implemented, you have to find out where the sick palm trees are at. Mm-hmm. So my maps provide that Excellent. information. So. Okay. Very exciting. Well, good. And, and good work, too. So it's helping out some people. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Joyce, how about you? I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Botswana mm-hmm. in Southern Africa. The geographical information system was sort of very much new when I came back from University of Melbourne uh, with my degrees. So literally, we started the GIS. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was mainly digital cartography, but uh, we streamed it to uh, GIS and uh, remote sensing. At the moment, I teach uh, undergraduate from year two, mm-hmm. which is the introductory course. Year three, which is the elementary course, and then year four, whereby it's mostly uh, them uh, researching using the information they have learned. And recently, I managed to put up a master's degree in geospatial sciences together with some universities in Southern Africa, University of Cape Peninsula in South Africa, the University of Zambia in Zambia, and five universities in Angola and the Science and Technology University of Namibia. And uh, we were led by the university in uh, Germany, who sponsored all the collaboration. And hopefully, we will go into teaching the secondary school students the geospatial sciences, because that is where it is lacking. Mm -hmm. But also, I think it will be far much better if also the technical staff who did not have degrees to put them into a diploma and then a degree because they have the interest in geospatial sciences. Mm -hmm. Of course, we use it in research. Mm -hmm. At the moment, I have uh, a PhD students and three master's students. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful. All right. Thank you very much, Joyce. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Steve? 
Yeah, so Steve Fleming, uh, similar to Chris, uh, an old old soldier, uh, did uh, 30 years active service uh, in the military where I was, the last part of my career was working with geospatial systems. So I had the honor of, uh, of uh, helping develop cadets up at West Point. But as part of that, was required to kind of work with the intelligence community. Um, so all the organizations that work with, uh, in this case, spatial data in order to make decisions for uh, uh, warfighters and, and, and others in support of warfighters was what I was doing. Uh, also uh, was working in academia. So I was uh, developing academic programs uh, for those that were going to uh, go in service one or maybe work for some of the agencies that were going to use that. Uh, upon leaving active duty, uh, ended up in the University of Southern California, uh, who was about building a number of programs, and one of them was in the intelligence world, so geoint programs for uh, folks that would be interested in taking on academic programs, whether it be at the undergraduate level or the graduate level that was going to apply the, the techniques. So yeah, I was a practitioner of using the discipline to help solve problems, and then uh, realized the uh, next generation was likely going to be challenged more than I was mm. in, in using this as it was... Uh, going to become something that more and more of us, uh, the better we are at it, the better we're going to be able to solve the problems of the world. Mm, so, absolutely. You know, in that regard, uh, just thought it was important to uh, be around academia and helping the next generation learn how to use the stuff. Great. So that's my background. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I want to ask each of you, and we can just kind of go around the table here. We'll start with you, Chris. Um, have you, and of course, you know, in this p position, it's just going to be you, but any of your students as well as we go around the table, used Hexagon software for a specific project or for teaching a course to reinforce theoretic concepts, you know, et cetera. I mean, absolutely. So a lot of my research had a lot of stepwise refinement mm -hmm. and masking uh, processes. And there's a tremendous amount of uh, intermediate files that are produced while you're doing this process. Very, very large model. In order to keep track of all those files, like through very small stepwise refinement processes, it would have been a nightmare, you know, mm -hmm. almost impossible. So the spatial modeler keeps everything contained and packed up into a nice bundle where you don't really have to keep track of all those intermediate files. And then you can just, you know, tweak it how you need it and then get to your end result. So helped out a lot. Good. I'm very thankful. Thanks. Great to hear. Excellent. Joyce? Mainly, we use a hexagon, Elders Imagine. Okay. Mainly for land cover change. You know, land cover change is a meter for natural resources, what is there, mm -hmm. what is used, and what remains, and how much that is used, and where. Mm -hmm. So, when you use the satellite imagery or aerial photographs, if like Botswana is a vast country, we might have to monitor the wildlife. You know, we might need to monitor the health of the wildlife, yeah. you know, so we can see how much forest and how much vegetation they can be sustained in, you know, so we can actually use land cover change from satellite using time series. And the, let us imagine it allows you to visualize the satellite images and then categorize it into classes before nice. you can actually go there specifically and say, this is this type of land cover and link it to the real world and see how much cities are growing and how much people's fields are being taken by the cities and the villages, which means that... Uh, you know, reduction of uh, food security. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so mainly my students' research mainly are the pollution 
and the land cover changes, pollution in water, pollution in the soils. Very interesting. Yeah. So without Ertis Imagine, could you even do most of what you know you're doing right now? You can't because the thing is that this remote sensing induced fossil sciences is mm-hmm. highly technical. You need to know mathematics, you need to know physics. Mm. Yeah. You also need to know statistics. And on top of that, which is not fair, you know, the science students will not know social economic aspects. So people from this different uh, kanda should mm. work together. Mm. So now you can have somebody from the social because this science, this mathematics, this statistics is inbuilt within a elders imagine. You just need to teach them the procedures yeah. of what yeah. you do in classification. How can you do the NDVI? How do you infuse the removal of the atmospheric uh, pollution mm-hmm. from the satellite images, which a normal person cannot know the sciences plus the weather <laughs> plus the socioeconomic part true, you true. see yeah yeah so then you've got to pull in you know various people from those professions as yes. well which is more money and yes more coordination so yeah wow. yes and then the others imagine mm-hmm. is like the science behind it it actually uh, simplifies the sciences it nice. the programs are already there you just have to teach the student what to do and for them to understand the theory behind excellent yeah Good. Well, that's yeah. that's impressive and definitely the way to go. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Steve. Yeah. So uh, previous life, uh, yeah, I did work with and use personally the software suite uh, back in the day. So I imagine um, used that and taught a number of courses um, at, at the military academy and then used it as a, as a practitioner. Uh, so realized the power of it uh, and why it was important to have that as a software application uh, that was necessary to evaluate imagery. So this is actually back when imagery, we understood it then, was often uh, collected through National Technical Means Collects. Obviously, there were some uh, service providers that were giving it to us, and, you, and we were using commercial software uh, and commercial imagery in order to make some, uh, some decisions. But since then, there's been a lot of things that have happened that require us to use different software suites in order to be able to handle the different variations of imagery that are now coming at us. So whether we're talking satellite collects or airborne collects or, or even terrestrial collects, the requirement today uh, to be able to manage uh, the different forms of data is, is uh, changing rapidly, and we just have to make sure we understand the software applications that best do it. So to that point, folks at USC have realized that, and so in building academic programs in order to support this, we're moving in the direction of, uh, of creating more opportunities for students to use these different forms of software, whether we're, we're, we're talking you know, the Hexagon suite or other suites that are available to include open source software that's, uh, that's out there uh, in order to be able to solve some of these very challenging problems. As part of that, we're introducing new courseware uh, mm-hmm. and new academic programs. So we're, uh, we're in the business of launching new academic certificates, new academic undergraduate majors, new academic um, master's degrees that support, um, in, in my world, um, the, the human security requirements of understanding this uh, the, and these technologies, you know, better in order to be good practitioners or professionals. Um, so, you know, I look at that as, uh, as the requirements that we have moving forward and whether we're doing basic research or applied research and, you know, some of the work probably that, uh, that Chris is, is more interested in doing right now based upon where his glide path is. But um, certainly I think he could reflect back on when he was a, a user of this mm-hmm. uh, and answering today's question about why it's important 
to be able to take that imagery as we knew it and make a, a, a good assessment one and then provide a good recommendation to a decision maker within, say, six hours. So, um, you know, how do we do that? How do we build the next bench, if you will? Yeah. Uh, how do we build the, uh, the next set of uh, researchers and, uh, and then maybe educators like Chris? Or maybe how do we build the next analyst at fill-in-the-blank organization, whether it be one of our government agencies or maybe a not-for-profit, but how do we do that? Uh, I think it's important that education recognize the the change and how dynamic it is and then be able to integrate the right partners uh, yeah. like Hexagon in order to be able to achieve that end result. Excellent. Any follow-up thoughts on that question? Just like the direction of the military, mm -hmm. uh, kind of falling back. Uh, it's been a while since I've been in, but uh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I worked several different kinds of missions, you know, airborne, satellite, you know, as a collection manager, you know, quality control, um, communications, as an NCO. Sure. Yeah. In, in the Army. So um, very demanding environment. And I admire what you're doing. It's just I kind of see myself in a transition right now where I'm kind of focused more on environmental concerns. Yeah, I have to reflect on, you know, the military. We use the word military often. But um, when I when I talk to folks about, you know, what I did, and in this case, what Chris did, uh, you know, there's the, there's the military answer. Uh, and some folks um, appreciate that answer. But really, at the end of the day, what military organizations around the world are doing uh, extremely well is they manage chaos. They're chaos managers. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we can look around and find our chaos managers. Certainly, the military is one example of, of, of chaos management. And then we have a lot of folks that are in the business more at the, you know, at the local um, state and, and city level, regional level, that are chaos managers. And we find these folks that are in the business of, of what we would routinely call providing safe and secure communities for us. So depending upon which end of the spectrum you want to talk about, there are folks out there that manage chaos very well. They're designed to do it. And it could be chaos as a response to a natural disaster when we sometimes can be predictive about that, but other times mm -hmm. we can't. Yeah, you know, where I live sure. in California, uh, the one that's just really hard to predict, which you never hope happens, is an earthquake. I mean, yeah. it's super hard to predict that. Yeah. The others are pretty predictable and you usually have some kind of run-up time in order to uh, provide some form of safety. But nonetheless, they're going to happen and we have no control over these. But the military or organizations like it can go in afterwards and help manage the chaos, which is created on the back end. On the other end of it is is intentional man-made disaster you know, versus natural disaster. And warfare, at the end of the day, is intentional mm -hmm. man-made disaster. Mm -hmm. So that's chaos as well. And then everything in between. Just one more follow-up with uh, your question. I think a uh, concerted effort at the schoolhouse mm -hmm. in Wachuca. Sure. Um, it's probably one of the best starting points in trying to bridge that gap for the the speed of how far things are involving the geospatial community yeah. and uh, filling in the soldiers, mm -hmm. um, you know, with good instruction at the schoolhouse, mm -hmm. uh, with good lectures. Yeah. And so what Chris just mentioned, schoolhouse, so this is the, um, the uh, military intelligence schoolhouse at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, is what he's talking about. So okay. there's organizations like it um, in the military uh, that do the education uh, slash training, kind of push buttonology, the how-to of that latest set of devices that we use that, you know, kind of helps understand the, the state of the art at that point in time. Um, and we have these across our services. So whether we're talking um, that in, in the Army, it's at Fort Huachuca, there's other services that use these types of technologies. And certainly at the national level, there's agencies that use these technologies. It's routinely called GEOINT, geospatial intelligence. But more broadly, it's the science of where geospatial, where on the earth, uh, in order to provide decision makers with a, a, a good solution, which is intelligence. So intelligence, better definition, instead of like in the military context, it's actionable information for a decision maker. That's intelligence. Good. Yeah. When you're beyond yeah. just a flip of a coin, yeah. you have you have better than a 50-50 chance 
that the recommendation that's provided with you is comes with enough academic or intellectual might to where the decision that you make has confidence other than just the coin toss. And so that's to me is what intelligence is. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. Steve, Chris, thank you very much for that. That was a great explanation and, and some great information. Well, Joyce, tell me a little bit about uh, the benefits of using hexagon technology in academia. Well, the first thing is that uh, it helps you to teach. Mm-hmm. If you endure spatial science, for instance, you first of all, you have to visualize the satellite images. You have to look at them and see whether they are usable or not. You know, that way you can still view them in EDAS Imagine. And then you have to process the images. You have to take individual uh, satellite bands or channels and stack them together so that they can make sense, a composite map. You know, depending on whether you want to look at the vegetation, you can actually uh, take uh, like infrared and make some mathematical uh, divisions and additions and uh, multiplications like NDVIs. You know, within a set of uh, within the set of processing of uh, EDAS Imagine. The second thing is that you need to do the analysis mm-hmm. within this data sets. The EDAS Imagine has simplified the geospatial uh, statistics so that you can actually do the classification including going out to do the ground truthing because you'll know exactly which area or which band classes you are going to be looking for. And then in Africa, where I come from, we are so much uh, short of, uh, I can say, high, highly trained uh, computer scientists. The few we have, they will just evaporate out to go and look for more money. So that's why we are not more on the open source because at some point with the open source, you have to find somebody, you know, to program something to go from one bit to another. Yeah. 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 But uh, with the uh, Edas Imagine software, uh, you know, because also we allow for a contact whereby we can call to say we have this problem. And then we call for somebody or we send them email and they can sort of, you, you are not alone. You, yeah, you, you have, for sure. You exactly. have somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, apart from teaching the students, also we do researches. You know, we do researches for mineral prospecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do researches where we need to find which area may be heated because uh, it might uh, be prone to a seismic uh, movement. We also need to find where really there's water because Botswana is a desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, also, we can, uh, you can also, if we have to do the border with South Africa or with Namibia or with Zambia, you can have the satellites and just work on them without having to go out to say, can I, to another country to say, can I actually wow. use, use, <laughs> use your data, yeah. you know, so. It's really simplifying things. Y- yes, yeah. yes. And uh, mainly because it's programmed it's also tailored within the theory. 
you know, when you teach something within the theory, maybe the topographical, the topographical error, which might uh, make the satellite image not readable. You know, you have that for corrections in the elders imagine. Mm -hmm. So step by step, you are actually looking at the science, which is embedded into the software. And uh, mind you, the software is the part of the six components for your special sciences, which is the computer hardware, the computer software, the people themselves, the organizations, uh, the data, and also the dynamism of data, how to communicate with it. Okay. So within that is embedded in the Edas Imagine software. Excellent. Yeah. Glad it's so helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Well, Steve, there's been an announcement of Lucia, Map Enterprise, MapX, education programs. What do you think all about this? Yes, I think great announcement. Um, the words I would pick around uh, the word announcement, what do I think about it? I would say it's an insightful announcement, uh, thoughtful announcement, and purposeful announcement. So insightful, recognizing that working with academic programs uh, and starting uh, there as a place of entry for uh, th this type of, of, of set of applications is the future. And you, you've got to start there. This is not one of those things that you can uh, often pick up late in the game. So working with academic institutions, and they're not the only game in town that has done this. There's many organizations that have recognized that working with, with students um, when they're working on uh, developing themselves as purposeful professionals. So usually, you know, in the college years, sometimes late high school years is where we see folks recognizing who they want to be and why they want to be it. Yeah. Um, delivering that as a tool uh, to them is, is an insightful decision. Uh, the next, you know, thoughtful, they've figured out uh, how to do it. Mm -hmm. So they've put some, some energy into the way to deliver uh, this type of, um, uh, of opportunity to students by uh, providing the protocols in order to be able to be ingested by academic institutions. And then lastly, purposeful, you know, which at the end of the day, when you listen to people talk about why we do these things, um, what's the purpose of, of bringing these types of technologies and using them by folks? Um, normally, it's to leave the world a better place than you found it. Mm -hmm. Big idea, uh, idealistic idea, certainly. But I think it's, um, it's recognized by, in this case, Hexagon, that that's something that they should be part of. It's something bigger than the company. Uh, so insightful, thoughtful, uh, purposeful. In um, education, to me, big difference than that in training. So uh, we'll use that word as an operative word in the discussion. And one thing about... Um, the data that we're talking about, which you know is is, a, is a, certainly a topic that a lot of folks talk about today, when we think about how data is used around the world, um, you know, the unique thing about this data, it's it's spatio-temporal, so it answers a couple of questions just embedded in the data, and that's where and when, and that's what often we get as a function primarily of uh, GPS data, uh, which is now being connected to other forms of data, but that allows you to understand, you know, the where and when it comes inherent in what we do. But the education stuff tries to answer the why, the what, and the who, uh, whereas how you use the application is often just the how. So that's the, you know, maybe the training that comes with it and how to do it and, uh, and push buttonology and maybe some of those other words that kind of get linked to training. Uh, there's a how question that's answered, but for the education community, it answers some of those other bigger questions about you know, the, the why things happen, what's going on, and who's doing it. Uh, so contextually, in, a, in an academic environment, you can teach and learn those things. And I think that's where uh, academic institutions are, are um, you know, leveraging this best. All right. Well, you mentioned uh, the future, you know, that this is the future. And I'm, I'm curious to know, where do you see the future of geospatial going in academia? Chris, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Um, well, just kind of coming back just a little bit to the, the MAP 
uh, application. Uh, it's a cloud-based remote sensing platform, uh, which I think is beneficial to students because a lot of students don't have a lot of resources to buy the hardware and components, you know, like the, the very fast GPUs and the, you know, the CPUs. And if you can have like a centralized processing area, I think that takes a lot of the load off of the individuals when they're, you know, manipulating these very large data sets. So I think they expand those applications for like a full, you know, geoprocessing suite. Um, I think there's a lot of promise within that. Good. Excellent. Joyce? Geospatial science is big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It will answer many questions. That's why really in academia, there's a lot of work. We have to do the groundwork so that we can teach people how to source the data, how to use it, how to analyze it and read it. And uh, where I come from in Botswana, uh, you know, there's a... The government, there's the academia, there's the NGOs, and there's the majority. And the, the community who are the majority, normally things are done for them. And uh, it's not like here in the USA where, you know, technology is possible for everybody. There you find that uh, technology is only possible, especially for the government and for the universities. And for us, we have to use it so that we can... Uh, assist the way the country is running, mm -hmm. you know, how to protect our life, wildlife, how to find water for people, you know, how to do the environmental protection, but also with the indigenous knowledge, the type of resource in the forest, which are useful in certain ways, and use that data and sort of save it so that... Uh, it's not only knowledge to them, because if they pass on, it means that that knowledge is gone. So we have to take that knowledge, infuse it in your special sciences, uh, so that it can use, be useful for the future. Good. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Steve, any further thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think the, um, you know, what we're seeing is there's a whole bunch of academic disciplines, you know, which translates into um, professions upon, uh, you know, receiving your education. But I think there's a whole bunch of academic disciplines right now that are uh, very interested in, in the geospatial world. And so the idea of, of collaboration with them and figuring out how to work and interface with these organizations that we find around campuses uh, is going to be uh, a huge uh, step in the right direction, the better we become at it, instead of becoming what we call the silos of excellence, you know, that you routinely see on campuses. It's the this department versus that department versus that department, which uh, for those that are around academia, sometimes understand how it happens, although it's um, in some ways not justifiable, but it's the, it's the idea of uh, some research dollars get just put against one certain person's interest, and that then becomes a very protective space. And so that uh, kind of goes against the grain of being collaborative with someone else working, say, someone else on a campus. Now, that said, uh, you know, the idea that uh, no one's as smart as everyone and how academic institutions um, uh, provide clear opportunity to do collaboration to try to work at solving some wicked problems. Uh, I think uh, we're going to see geospatial uh, have, have better reach across academic institutions moving forward. And the better hexagon can figure out how to fit into that uh, in order to provide multidisciplinary approaches to create some solutions that are what I would call wicked problems that require uh, attacking a problem from multiple angles is going to be huge you know, as we, as we kind of move forward. Um, there's a 
quote out there that talks about how good teams work. So good teams communicate well, cooperate well, and care about each other. And the uh, the, the first part of it is how what do you communicate? So ensuring that that we have good communication amongst academic institutions, um, you know, internally is going to be, for me anyways, a big part of the, the, the solution set moving forward in order to use this stuff well and effectively. Okay, great. Well, this has been fantastic information. Thank you all for sharing. Really appreciate it. Chris, Joyce, Steve, thank you. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Appreciate thank you, you very thank much. You. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank of you. Of course, absolutely. Well, and for more information, please head on over to hexagongeospatial.com. And to learn more and listen to additional episodes, go to hxgnspotlight.com. And thank you very much for joining us here on HXGN Radio. HXGN Radio.